Welcome to WMNF 88.5 FM and WMNF.org. You're listening to the Tuesday Cafe, and I'm the host. I'm Sean Canan, WMNF's News and Public Affairs Director. Today, we're going to talk about New College of Florida in Sarasota. And I hope that if you're part of the New College community, you call in or write about your experience as well. I want to have as many people participate as possible today. New College is a small liberal arts college, but it's also part of the state college and university system. And that mix makes it popular with many students and faculty, but it also makes it a target. On Friday, Governor Ron DeSantis' office announced that he was appointing six people to the New College of Florida Board of Trustees, and there are 13 total members. Later on in the show, we're going to talk with Andrew Goddard, who is president of United Faculty of Florida. Joining me right now to talk about New College of Florida and what the changes might mean is New College alumnus Chelsea Hall. She's a PhD candidate at Harvard in Religion, Gender, and Culture Studies. Welcome to WMNF, Chelsea. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to have been asked to be on MNF. I'm just excited to be on MNF. I grew up listening to MNF. I'm, you know, at Sarasota Local. And um, yeah, so right now we're really just trying to um, focus on the students and the faculty initiatives going on in response to the um, rather surprising news that we all got um, pretty much after the DeSantis announcement. So we still don't have a clear picture of what really led to this um, series of appointments. However, it is completely legal. Um, The governor is allowed to appoint six board members to the trustees of New College. The other six are appointed by us. And the 13th member is actually the student body president, basically, our equivalent of such. Um, So... Right now, um, some of the kind of freak outs about, you know, new college shutting down, um, that's not going to happen. We, we're not in threat of being shut down because this will bring other types of funding that the school basically needed. And as you said, it's always been an interesting position to be a real liberal arts and authentic liberal arts college in the state system of Florida. Um, There was a lot of discussion, you know, in general about how we can support students even before this happened, considering the current political climate in Florida and that many of our students are um, queer, trans, LGBTQ plus. Um, There are many black students who have experienced, um, you know, racism in the past coming from the school, even, you know, it's not a perfect school. However, all of the alums, every single one of us are quite concerned that such a, um, such an interesting and unique institution that is yet very liberal arts model and very rigorous and produce such a, variety of scholars, um, communications directors, you know, people working in the federal government. There's people, there's new college grads all over the place. When I took class with Cornell West, um, he is friends with former new college president, Mike Michelson. He knows all about new college. Um, we're famous where we're famous for the right reasons because we produce very you know, um, effective students in the world, they just don't always get paid. 
So the Florida metrics that came down the line several years ago have always been a challenge for New College um, because if you don't meet those metrics, such as employment rate in Florida a year or two after graduation, um, then their metrics go down. So right now, the school is not in any immediate danger, but the faculty have um, brought in the ACLU They've been instructed not to use electronic communications because we do have people leaking information from various sources. Um, the students are amazing and have, you know, organized over the weekend. So if anyone is interested in um, offering them your skills or support, whether or not you're an alum, um, their email address is NCF, like New College of Florida, NCF, and then number four, freedom ncf or freedom at gmail.com so this is um a group of you know mixed students by the way it's not that new college is a monolith either this caricature that's being presented in the media currently by places not like wmnf and i've asked you know i've had i've been asked to be interviewed by other outlets and i refused because i'm not going to feed into the clear entrapment um, going on on Rufo's Twitter um, and other things that the media tends to cover. Right now, we are focused on student safety and faculty retention. And by we, I mean concerned people, not I do not represent the school. I do not work for the school. <laughs> but I do tend to be a hub for organizing and because I'm an ethnographer, I take people's privacy seriously um, and I just have a good understanding of the dynamics here. So these appointees are a done deal. Um, we have a new president. We're up for a five, five or six faculty are up for a tenure vote this spring. And then many board terms will renew or not in May. So there aren't any immediate what people are calling action items. We're very much focused on not overreacting, um, making sure that we do focus on the plans that have been put out by Rufo without him ever having visited the campus or in my professional opinion, understanding anything about liberal arts education because calling it the fact that he wants to change an authentic liberal arts model without grades into a quote unquote classical liberal arts model is just him drawing off the privatization of schools K through 12 and the fact that schools like, you know, the covenant school and things like this um, are allowed to teach what they want, admit who they want. Um, so this is, this is not, this is not a new college problem. It's just that we had six seats open. He appointed them. We actually um, do very well in all lists of affordability, um, student faculty ratio. Um, you know, the stats are out there. The college looks good. It has always been a struggle to have a mostly Republican Sarasota population not really be in support of us. Um, so 
there were at least 200 people at the alumni board meeting last night, though, and there's only, um, you know, at least 180 of those were not board members. So, um, yeah, we're, we're asking the wider community if they want to use their professional skills um, to help the students right now. I don't think that we can get involved with the faculty because of the union. Um, but again, that the email address, NCF, the number four, freedom at gmail.com. This would be a good time for me to reintroduce you. We're speaking with Chelsea Hall, who is an alumnus of New College in, in New College of Florida, which is in Sarasota. She's a PhD candidate at Harvard in religion, gender, and culture. And you're listening to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. If you'd like to weigh in with your thoughts about New College of Florida, give us a call, 813-239-9663. You can email DJ at WMNF.org or text 813 813- Four three three zero eight eight five, and uh, you mentioned a whole bunch of, of things that we'll, we'll probably circle back to and, and and talk a little bit more about those. But one of them is you mentioned the name Rufo, and we're talking about Christopher Rufo, who was one of the uh, people who the the um, governor of Florida appointed to be a trustee of the new college of Florida. And in when the governor sent out his press release on Friday, here's a part of what he said about Christopher Rufo. In recent years, Rufo has led the fight against critical race theory in American institutions. Rufo's research and activism inspired a presidential order and legislation in 15 states where he has worked closely with conservative governors and lawmakers to craft successful public policy. So my point of reading that part of the governor's press release is really to point out this isn't just a coincidence or it isn't, um, uh, you know, just in general conservatives being appointed to the board of New College of Florida, it's it's pretty well an orchestrated attempt by the governor to make big changes at New College of Florida. So before we get to all of that, let's set up, let's set the stage. A lot of our listeners have heard of New College, but maybe they've never been there. They certainly weren't students there. So what's it like to be a student at New College of Florida? Well, I cried the day I graduated, <laughs> starting at the end. Um, I'm not, you know, the most um, outgoing person, but because we have the choice of advisors, we have um, the choice of basically most of the class, there are very few requirements. Those are just like, you must take a science, um, but the culture and of acceptance and of being able to have dialogue and also being able to um, be respectful. I think we've really improved on that there were some you know um rather famous people at this point um who were white nationalists and such who were converted um and now work against such things um besides it just being a you know a good school it is a very emotionally it's always been a safe space for everyone in sarasota and now that florida has just become a less safe space because yes, this was ex- a- absolutely planned ahead of time, not by the college. I, we still don't know that, but we know that legally he can do this. And this is going to be the model going forward um, for any other schools that have accidentally left open board seats or whose you know, previous governor did not appoint board members before he left. Um, was there another question in there that I forgot to yeah, you know, one of the things that you mentioned earlier, but might come as a surprise to some people, is that you don't get grades at New College. How do you, what, what, what's that all about? As a person that had to learn how to grade at Harvard, I am still very firmly anti grades. 
they are quite arbitrary. Um, you know, most classes actually set up a certain ratio of this many A's, this many B's. At New College, you don't receive any grades because it is a contract system per semester. Um, generally, contracts start off at you have to pass three out of four classes to pass your whole contract. Then you get credit for that semester. Let's say you don't pass three out of four. That is kind of a problem because you don't get credit for that semester. As you move on, um, you might have a four out of four contract, like I did by the time I was um, writing my thesis. So we have no grades. We just eat, we get narrative evaluations, which are personalized by each and each professor for every single student in their class. As a person that's had to learn how to decide what an A or a B was in an essay with no real guidance from professors. Um, you know, that was always a real struggle for me. And I deeply believe that the liberal arts model without grades is the only way to allow students to have this kind of freedom to create their own plans, their own careers. And I mean, honestly, I'm 39 and I only keep up with them because I'm teaching 18 to 22 year olds frequently. They are living in a different world than we grew up in. They are better at organizing and avoiding traps, but they're also very stressed out. Um, so, you know, I tend to try to defer to what they're doing because they know their campus um, and they know what they want. But um, the rest of us, possibly with more money, um, connections and such, should really offer our info to them and uh, um, to enable them to kind of pick and choose what they think they need because we really just don't know where the next challenges are going to come up. Our guest is Chelsea Hall, a new college alumna. She's a PhD candidate at Harvard in religion, gender, and culture studies. And we're talking about the appointment of six new members of the new college board of trustees by Governor DeSantis. And we're going to be joined in just a few minutes by the president of the United Faculty of Florida. So I hope you stay tuned for that. And if you'd like to ask us a question, give us a call 813-239-9663 or text 813-433-0885. Or you can uh, DJ at WMNF.org is the email address. And I want to say thank you to um, a couple of people who have already emailed in. Bubba writes, I'm curious about whether X Gonzalez will weigh in on this. They are a new college alum. They also know that NCF faculty are very concerned about this conservative takeover. DeSantis does not support critical thinking. So that's Bubba's thoughts out there. I have not heard anything from X Gonzalez. You may remember them from the Marjorie, they're, they're a survivor of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, went to New College of Florida. I think they're mostly living a quiet life now after graduation. I I haven't heard them weigh in at all on this. I don't know if you've heard anything, Chelsea. Yeah, the issue, and we discussed it in the New College Alumni Board meeting last night, is there is no coherent kind of media response because this is a done deal and the next kind of sticking points will not happen until the tenure vote in the spring. Um, the faculty was only offered a 0.01% raise. So I don't think I really have to speculate on you know, the possible consequences of that. Um, but, you know, yeah, there's, I, I don't know any alums, famous or not, that are not concerned about this. I, I mean, we, we don't have anybody saying, 
um, you know, Rufo could make some good changes in the school, even because he's made it clear that he doesn't understand higher education. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. Uh, Chelsea Hall is a new college alumnus and a PhD candidate at Harvard in Religion, Gender, and Culture Studies. Thanks so much, Chelsea. Thanks for giving us the perspective. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, we're going to be joined now by our next guest, who is Andrew Gothard. And I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Andrew, can you please pronounce your last name for me, please? It's, it's Gothard. So you were very close. Yeah. All right. Great. Thanks. So Andrew Gothard is the president of the University Faculty of Florida, the UFF, you know, I'm sorry, United Faculty of Florida, UFF Florida, which is the union. So tell us more about your group, Andrew. Absolutely. So we are the higher education branch of the Florida Education Association, and we represent over 25,000 higher education faculty and graduate assistants at all 12 state public universities and 16 state and community colleges. So what are your initial thoughts and your group's thoughts about what Governor DeSantis did when he appointed these these six people to the Board of Trustees of New College of Florida? Well, first we were surprised, um, and and my understanding is that the faculty at the institution uh, and the administration had no idea that this was coming. Um, so we were we were shocked, just not 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 just that you know it happened at all, but it's also a little odd to appoint six uh, trustees all at one time, and it's even stranger for both these appointees to be so ideologically driven um, on one end of the political spectrum and for many of them to have no connection to the institution whatsoever. Typically, a good leader would want to appoint trustees who have a relationship to, in this case, new college, to the community, to the area, who have some background or interest in higher education, and who represent the variety of interests and viewpoints that uh, the faculty and the student body are comprised of. So in many ways, we were shocked at just how bad (laughs) this list of appointments is if your goal is actually to build up the institution for long-term health and growth. And one of the criticisms of New College of Florida, and our earlier guest talked about this a little bit, is that it didn't really hit all the metrics when the um, the universities were being evaluated. And of course, you could make an argument that the evaluation system is is not uh, doesn't tell you the what's a good education or not. But regardless, it wasn't you know just maybe putting people into high paying jobs and things like that. But I'm looking at their website and it says things like, according to the New College website, the Fisk Guide to Colleges ranks New College a Best Buy public college. U.S. News and World Report ranks it as the number five public liberal arts college in the nation. And in the best value schools ranking of its 50 best value small schools, it comes in at number two. So if you are out there and you're you're saying, well, New College just needs to be dismantled because it's not working. I mean, those numbers really uh, throw a... a, a a wrench in that. Absolutely. I mean, New College is actually really a gem of an institution. They are very well known and respected. Um, They, uh, let's talk about two things. First is that New College has historically and consistently been underfunded. We, We hear this all the time from our local chapter members who are attempting to negotiate not just better salary and benefits so that they can draw more competitive faculty, but uh, better funding for the institution so that there can be better programs for students who come from the community around the state and around the country. But the metrics themselves, and we have argued this for years, are also deeply flawed. They privilege students who finish in four years over students who don't. 
They privilege students who do the entire four years of their college education at a single institution, as opposed to doing a few years at a community college and then transferring to finish at a university. So as long as you come from a wealthy family where you don't have to work or slow down your education uh, to take a little bit more than four years, you are, um, if you if you do that sort of straight through in four years, the metrics say you look great and your institution looks great for doing that. But if you're any student outside of that, which by the way is most students in the state of Florida, suddenly your institution gets penalized by these lopsided metrics. So I would encourage you and all of your listeners, if you're trying to judge the actual quality of an institution, don't look at the metrics, actually look at the faculty, look at what the students accomplish and look at some of these larger, more objective analyses of what college education actually looks like on the ground. So how might these six appointees, if they are successfully accomplished what it seems like the whole point of this is, how might that change New College of Florida? Well, that's a really good question. We don't really know yet. Um, We we see some of the rhetoric coming out of... um, some of these appointees talking about wanting to establish a classical education. And that's language that comes out of, that That seems to be the very popular thing for charter schools to do right now, or individuals who are trying to undermine public K-12 education. And at that level, we, we sort of know what it means. It seems to indicate returning to reading, you know, 19th century texts, a lot of almost entirely white men writers and, um, you know, things that were written about 100 to 150 years ago. But when you look at a university setting, we already teach all of that. That's usually like the first thing we teach. And then we move on to how knowledge has advanced in the 150 years since those texts were taught. So it almost sounds like what they're proposing is they want to create a a, a degree program that's 150 years behind modern science and technology and art and information. So we don't even really know what they're proposing. And that's the real problem here. When you appoint people to these kinds of roles who are clearly only politically and ideologically motivated, but really don't have the experience when it comes down to building strong programs and maintaining a healthy institution, you hear ideas like this that that sound good in propaganda or sound good on a campaign poster, but don't actually make any sense when it comes to serving the interests and the needs of students who need to be competitive in a national and international job market. So we're going to be interested to see what happens. And I can tell you one thing, if they take even one step to harm the students or the communities or the faculty and staff of New College of Florida, you better believe the United Faculty of Florida are going to be right there to oppose them because our interests are to protect higher education, not to push somebody's political propaganda. Our guest is Andrew Gothard, president of United Faculty of Florida. You're listening to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. It's 1029 in the morning, and we're talking about New College of Florida. On Friday, Governor Ron DeSantis appointed six new board of trustees members, and many of them share a kind of conservative education worldview. For example, one of the people that we've talked about a couple of times during this show is Christopher Rufo. On Twitter, Rufo said he wants to eliminate diversity, equity, and inclusion policies. He wants to develop a new core curriculum and he wants to restructure the administration and academic departments. That's kind of a bold statement for someone who was just nominated to be a new person on a, on a, a board of trustees for a, a, a college. Absolutely. And it's a bold statement for someone who has no experience doing that kind of thing. Um, you know, I would, I would wonder if Christopher Rufo has any idea how any of that is accomplished or, or how you even have those conversations. Like, 
if we think about how actual good management of a higher education institution works, what he's describing in a general sense are the kinds of conversations we have all the time on a daily basis, right? What sorts of programs should be offered? What sort of classes should be required versus optional? What sort of standards should we be setting for the base level of facility and knowledge incoming students should have? And then how can they build that out into specializations? These are these are all good conversations to have, but you have to come at those conversations from an objective viewpoint. You have to come at those conversations from wanting to advance knowledge and make sure that students are competitive. And what I hear from that statement from Christopher Rufo is he wants to come at it from a politics first perspective. And that's the kind of thing will, that will automatically lead to a reduction in the quality of education that students will receive. So I don't really know what he's proposing in that. All of that sounds like a lot of political jargon and propaganda. And, you know, quite honestly, in higher education, we don't have time for that. Because when you have people playing around the way he's describing with firing administrators or putting new people in or upending curriculum just to score political points, the people who suffer in response to that are the students. And that's not fair to them. It's not fair to Florida. And it's not fair to Florida's families. Our guest is Andrew Gothard, president of United Faculty of Florida. You're listening to WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM. In the Sarasota Herald Tribune, they spoke to some students who were concerned about what was going on. And one of the students mentioned New College's Gender and Diversity Center. And she says she feared that if there's a new board with kind of a motivation that they they might remove those resources and, uh, you know, I don't know, if I'm a student and I, I rely on resources like that, what's what would be the point of removing those resources? There wouldn't be, right? You know, at the, at the United Faculty of Florida, we represent members from all portions on the political spectrum because despite what Governor DeSantis and some of his supporters would say that faculty are all these left-leaning indoctrinators, what we know is that faculty cover all points on the political spectrum and the vast majority, just like Floridians, fall somewhere in the middle. Most people are moderate and then there are extremes on either end. So when we think about the rights of faculty to teach and study and research what they think is best based on their expertise and the rights of students to learn about whatever information and ideas are out there free from government control. We think about things like gender and diversity centers where regardless of whether you agree with what that center might be teaching or researching, you know, from your political perspective, I think we all as Americans have to agree on the right of others to think about and talk about ideas that we don't personally agree with. And I don't think there's an asterisk in the Constitution that says, except if Governor DeSantis doesn't like it. So these programs should remain and any attempts to defund them by political actors are absolutely shameful and they should not be happening and UFF will be opposing any action of that type. When the governor made his announcements that same day, uh, I got a press release from Hillsdale College who was was touting the idea that one of their professors and vice president, Matthew Spaulding, was one of the people who was appointed by Governor Ron DeSantis. And I, I didn't know that much about Hillsdale College, but apparently it has a, some somewhat of a reputation in education circles. What can you tell us about, about Hillsdale? Is there anything you know? I don't know a lot about Hillsdale because um, I don't pay too much attention to small institutions, you know, halfway across the country. I really, I really don't have time here in Florida to pay attention to that. Um, what I can say is that Florida has one of 
if not the best rated higher education system in the country. And if we need to be taking advice or information from anybody, it does not need to be a small religious institution somewhere else in the US, right? We we have programs that we emulate, we have programs that we compete with. And while as always as academics, we welcome the input and feedback of others, it appears that Hillsdale College's claim to fame is almost entirely politically motivated. And we don't have time or patience for that. And we don't think that's an ethical use of uh, the way we should be building our programs and the uh, the influences that we should be listening to. Our guest is Andrew Gothard, president of the United Faculty of Florida. You're listening to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. I think we have someone on the line. Let's see if we can get them on the air. Oh, I'm having trouble getting them on the air. Um, but uh, let me read this quick email uh, before we get back to more questions. And, and maybe you have a comment about this. Charles writes, He has predictions about this whole situation. He says that local donations will plummet. Students will leave, maybe resulting in new college going away. Professors will follow the students elsewhere and donations and grants um, will sue for performance. And then there will be lawsuits and some ultra rich person will throw money at um, not sure what this person is saying there, but um, so this person's painting a gloom and doom situation of what the future could be for new college, but what would be an alternative? What are the ways that new college could kind of uh, reinforce itself as a small liberal arts college and uh, continue that way? Well, I, I will say for the, for the e- emailers comment, Unfortunately, that is that is a potential direction this could go. And, and one item we could add to that would be accreditors being very upset. You know, there's a chance New College could lose accreditation or have its accreditation placed on on hold or probation due to undue political influence and, and other sort of factors that accreditors usually guard against. But really the way to to push back against this is for faculty, staff, students, and members of the community, including those donors, instead of withholding their donations and students leaving to fight back, to speak truth to power, to go to these board of trustees meetings and say, your perspective as a conservative is absolutely welcome on this campus, just as conservative students and faculty are welcome on this campus. But actions that will harm the institution, the long-term health of our community and our ability for students to learn and compete on a national scale are not welcome. And if you can't meet those standards, then you can get out. Our guest is Andrew Gothard, president of United Faculty of Florida. We have him on Zoom for just a few more minutes. And if you'd like to weigh in with by making a phone call, 813-239-9663. You can also email us at dj at wmnf.org or you can text 813-433-0885. So tell me more about the, um, the eliminating diversity equity and inclusion policies. That was something that Christopher Rufo wrote about, but it's also has something to do, it seems like it's connected with a, a, an order that came from Governor DeSantis recently about having all these state universities tell where they're, how much they're spending on diversity and inclusion. Why? What's, what's that all about? Well, with what Christopher Rufo was talking about, it seems like he's He's saying he they want to he or this this group of appointees that he seemed to be speaking for as a whole somehow um, were wanting to eliminate all DEI programs 
And then, um, so let's, let's talk about that one first. So he, he said eliminate, and then he also talked about renaming them for some reason. So clearly he dislikes the name diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's hard to know what he means for the same reasons that it's hard to know exactly what Governor DeSantis is looking for in that memorandum for the survey that he sent out about, you know, how much institutions are spending on these programs. You know, what, what actually counts as DEI? When we look at it, as experts in the field, we know that there are federally mandated uh, administrative areas that are DEI, so accessibility accommodations, EEOC offices, racial and, and gender discrimination complaint uh, offices. There, there are all sorts of like required um, programs and areas in the institution that, that and also veterans affairs. So like getting veterans into courses and the, the, the sorts of resources that they get. But there are also classes that teach about race racial history that teach about racial dynamics in the United States, racial literature, right? So is that DEI in, in this case? So it's it's unclear what exactly he wants to do other than just stir up controversy and and score political points. And this, this comes back to my question about like, do these people actually know how to produce valid programs or is this just all, you know, media circus type activity? Now, coming back to the memorandum from Governor DeSantis, because this comes from the Office of the Budget, the threat seems to be clear that um, the intention is once these amounts of funding are reported, that allocations to the institutions that are decided during the legislative session will be reduced by that amount. Um, and, you know, so we're we're very concerned about that. We don't think institutions should be punished for having federally mandated programs or for allowing students and faculty the freedom to teach and learn about what interests them. But at the same time, it is our absolute belief that this memorandum coming out at the end of December is an attempt by the administration to go around Judge Walker's injunction against the enforcement of HB7 in higher education. And we would be interested to see if the court uh, thinks that um, Commissioner Diaz and Chancellor Rodriguez should be held in contempt for violating the, the court's injunction as this case moves through uh, its hearing process. And the actual language of the office of, from the office of the governor, this memorandum, it says that the, the governor's office wants the state university system to tell them the expenditure of state resources on programs and initiatives related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and critical race theory within our state colleges and universities. So we definitely notice a theme here where, where all these buzzwords, which... Honestly, you know, as someone who has spent quite a number of years on university campuses, those are just normal things that you learn about in, in, in as part of a university setting. And it seems like uh, now they're, it's, it's like pariah words. Absolutely. You know, once again, Governor DeSantis, when he gets, you know, when he gets in front of people and starts giving speeches, even at his most recent, you know, second inauguration speech, he talks about believing in freedom and liberty. He talks a big game. But then when he actually proposes policies and, and starts working with legislators to write bills, we see time and time again that Governor DeSantis does not actually support free speech. He does not support the free market. He does not support the freedom of the individual. And you can look directly at higher education to see what that looks like. He believes in that all Americans deserve liberty, but there's an asterisk that says, unless Governor DeSantis disagrees with your viewpoint, and then you're done. And so that that's not what America looks like. And we are going to fight tooth and nail to protect the constitutional rights of the faculty, staff, and students who make up the higher education system, despite what Governor DeSantis says or wants. Well, I want to thank you very much for coming on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe today, Andrew. 
Thank you, Sean. Andrew Gothard is president of the United Faculty of Florida. Thanks so much for joining us. And I'm going to turn now to a, a story about what we were just talking about. Let's hear more about the crackdown on ideology in Florida's universities. Governor DeSantis is asking to see all the programs related to diversity, equity, and inclusion and critical race theory in the state's public higher ed system. So that is being met with fear, outrage, and skepticism across both the college and university system. Here's a story from Lynn Hatter about that. And in the meantime, you can email your thoughts to dj at wmnf.org or text 813-433-0885. Taryn Fenske, the governor's communications director, recently defined woke as, quote, a slang term for activism, progressive activism. The word came into use by African-Americans in the 1930s as a warning to stay alert to racial discrimination and violence. Today, it's used so broadly, it's lost that historical meaning, says Tallahassee Community College history professor Andrea Oliver. In my opinion, that's regrettable because I think if you're going to mount opposition to something, you should really have a full understanding of what it is you're opposing. The same goes for critical race theory, CRT for short. That's an academic framework used in law schools and graduate programs to examine the impact of race and law. Today, Oliver says it's a catch-all phrase. To describe those parts of our history that I think some people would rather us not talk about uh, or they feel as if uh, by telling students about some of the, the more unsavory parts of, of America's past that we are somehow criticizing this country and it's therefore unpatriotic. CRT and political terms has become almost synonymous with woke. In his second inaugural address, DeSantis promised to continue his crackdown on that ideology. We seek normalcy, not philosophical lunacy. We will not allow reality, facts, and truth to become optional. We will never surrender to the woke mob. Florida is where woke goes to die. Lumped into that ideology are efforts surrounding DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. State lawmakers targeted DEI and CRT last year in a law called the Stop Woke Act. It placed limits on how issues of race and history can be taught in public schools. It banned private employers from mandating employee trainings that compel people to believe members of another race, color, a nationality, or sex are inherently racist or sexist. Andrew Gothard, president of the United Faculty of Florida, believes the governor's request to identify CRT and DEI programs is an attempt at further silencing viewpoints he doesn't agree with. And while students are required to learn lots of different ideas and to understand what they mean, that doesn't mean they have to agree with all of those ideas. And that also doesn't mean that they have to make all of those ideas a part of their core identity. In November, a federal judge blocked the Stop Woke Act from going into effect, calling it, quote, positively dystopian. Gothard worries if the Florida legislature decides to defund DEI efforts in public schools and higher education, there could be a clash with the federal government. A lot of these programs that are related to DEI in particular are vital to the function of the university. Right. If you're looking at, you know, an, an administrative office that handles diversity, equity, and inclusion issues, they also handle, you know, the American Disability Act accommodations. They handle EEOC complaints of gender discrimination. Like there, there are federal dollars and federal requirements tied up in all of this. 
The battle over DEI, CRT, and other such buzzwords is the culmination of factors like social and racial justice movements and economic changes that have depressed largely white rural communities. Demographic and culture value shifts have also led to clashes between generations and perspectives on society as a whole. And all of these have bred resentment. Politicians have exploited these fault lines. Oliver, the history professor, wonders whether Florida's higher education system can weather the onslaught. Challenges to especially those liberal arts disciplines, such as the one that, that I work with in, in English and literature and the humanities, these challenges aren't new. The source of the challenges, however, you know, they have changed. This is definitely, I think, going to negatively impact the state's ability to attract and retain talented scholars. And that, she says, would be a loss for Florida's students. I'm Lynn Hatter. Well, thank you for that report from Lynn Hatter out from Tallahassee. She's with WFSU. And so uh, I want to thank her for that report and WFSU. Very uh, interesting information there. So what do you think? I want to read a couple of emails and I'm going to talk about another story that um, is an update from something that we heard a couple of weeks ago and it got a really big response during this show. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll tell you more about that in a few seconds, but let me read an email or two. Lenny in St. Petersburg asks the question that I don't know the answer to. Uh, he says, the good program about New College. Thank you, Lenny. And he says, is New College connected in the past with Ringling Art Museum, which is next door to New College? So that's a good question. I'm not really sure if they're affiliated with one another. Maybe one of our listeners knows and can email dj at wmnf.org or text 813-433-0885. David writes in, he says, thank you so much for featuring this topic today. I'm a New College alum and I used to be the executive director of the New College Alumni Association. He says, I'm very disappointed, but not surprised that DeSantis would put a target on our backs. It's sad that he would use it, us as a political pawn for his culture war BS. New college folks won't go down without a fight. That's for dang sure. I also have a, um, DeMarco is, is, is writing in. I'll read his in just a bit, but I do want to give you this update because when I, I read this, or I, I played this story a couple of weeks ago, a, a previous version of this story, and we're going to get an update right now. An investigative team at WGCU in Fort Myers told us the story of the turmoil facing many elderly and disabled residents after new owners took over the Gulf Coast Camping Resort and began kicking out renters from the RV park. So maybe you remember this story. I think I played it a couple of days after Christmas. So maybe if some of you might not have been listening, but you'll get an update here regardless. But people were calling in and emailing in about, about how powerful this story was. So here's an update. Um, Eileen Kelly tells us that it's possibly for a more lucrative deal with the federal government to assist victims of Hurricane Ian in Bonita Springs. Here's the story from Eileen Kelly from WGCU. Gulf Coast Camping Resort right now looks as if we're in the throes of the summer doldrums and not the height of tourist season in southwest Florida. Noticeably absent are people tooling around on golf carts or walking dogs or sitting outside enjoying the pleasant weather. These days, there's only a handful of renters left at the once-bustling RV and mobile home community. The seasonal residents who rented some 120 plots were told not to come back after new owners took over in late October. Those renters already here when the $5 million sale went through, along with residents who rent plots year-around, were charged immediate steep increases in rent. Then, days later, they were simply told to get out. Unofficially, 
Their deadline to leave was December 31st. As of January 5th, most are gone. A lot of people stayed right until Christmas, until January 1st, and everybody got scared and left. That 65-year-old Peter Rosignol, he moved here about nine months ago. But they had places to go. I do not. I lived in Florida for 20-something years. Not in this trailer, but this is my home. I'm not a snowbird. Rosignol's on disability. He's a former landlord and says he knows his rights. He plans to stay at the park until someone official, like a sheriff's deputy or a judge, tells him otherwise. The new owner, Ralph Principi of Palm Beach County, acquired the park. He now wants even more money from the remaining holdouts several people have told us. Here's Rosignol again. He decided he's going to do $75 a day just to get us out here quickly. That equals more than two grand a month for a small concrete plot and hookups for Rosignol's trailer. Most of the now former residents who spoke to WGCU News said they paid about $4,000 for the season. There's no place to go. Every park is full. Unless I want to go to all the way to LaBelle and take my wife out of work and drive up to a place that doesn't have any work. Rosignol said he knows of three other renters who intend to fight it out and stay as long as they can. John Potts, a former longtime renter, is also bracing for a fight. He's a veteran and turned 81 on Christmas Day. What they're doing, they're making my life more miserable, even though they evicted me and they're doing exactly what they want. Now they're going to try and hurt owners that own property in here. The, the, the whole thing is just to hurt people. Aside from a few holdout renters, others are living on privately owned parcels. There are 80 such parcels. Potts is now an owner after purchasing his neighbor's plot and RV. But he's not yet in the clear. He's trying to sell a modular home on the land he rented all those winters. And like Rosignol, Potts said he's been told he will owe $75 a day for each day that his home is there beyond the December 31st deadline. They don't care if you're 90 or 100. They don't care about family. I hope their family, I'm not going to say what I'm thinking in my mind, happens to the, the wrath of God comes down and strikes them as hard as he can. Retta and Chucky McIntyre thought they found paradise two years ago when they said goodbye to their rural North Carolina home and said hello to stationary RV living in Florida. The couple rented a plot for $650 a month and bought an RV from the former owner. The fee fit their modest budget. Retta is disabled, and Chucky collects and sells scrap metal, among other things. And like everyone else renting at the RV and mobile home park, they were chased away. Here's Retta. Why should we lose? Why should we lose what we got over being kicked out of the place we got home? It's been hard. So they tried to take shelter in their RV at a big lots. They were chased away. Same for Walmart. They thought they would be able to mix in with the road-weary travelers at a rest stop. We were there two nights and state trooper. About five or six of them come out there. Circled us. You have to go now. So they moved on again. They had been squatting on borrowed time along a frontage road of a southwest Florida truck stop for about two weeks now. They're trying to not be noticeable. The RV pop have been pulled in, dwarfing the already cramped space. The blinds are drawn. The doggy door is blocked, minimizing any clues anyone's inside. I never know what's going to lock on that door until I'm leave. I never know. Fear consumes Retta the moment her husband leaves her work. Her voice is strained from crying. Talk to me like a human being, but... He's kicking people out. They have nowhere to go. They have nowhere to go. In mid-December, a FEMA representative confirmed they had been out to survey the land at Gulf Coast Camping Resort. A spokesman later said he was not at liberty to provide updates or details if a deal was in the works. He said matters relating to where trailers would go is personal and private information. 
WGCU will continue pursuing this story related to the rights of the current and former residents. Our reporting has been forwarded to the Florida Attorney General's office. We're living in a nightmare. I want to wake up. For WGCU News, I'm Eileen Kelly with Andrea Melendez in Bonita Springs. Well, yeah, very sad update to that story. Um, when we heard about it a couple of weeks ago, it sounded like these FEMA trailers were going to be displacing these longtime residents of the RV park. And now it sounds like it's actually being happening. And I want to thank David for pointing out that Governor DeSantis is in Bonita Springs today. So we'll keep an eye out on whether this is part of what he's talking about, about these new FEMA trailers that are um, you know, it's designed to house people that are need, that need shelter, of course, after the hurricane, but a co- collateral damage here are these residents of the RV park. So uh, thank you to our partners at WGCU for that wonderful report uh, with a sad tone to it, of course. And, you know, I, I have some, some emails I want to read, but I'm going to get to another story. A lot of times uh, on this show, we talk about development, we talk about the environment, and people call in and they say, look, because of sea level rise and um, because of climate change, we maybe should think about not developing on the coast. Well, there's a city in the, on the east coast of Florida that's actually going to take a vote about pausing development today. And you may have heard about it this morning when I read the uh, morning news this morning, uh, but it's an important story. So I want to let you hear about it now and get your thoughts about it. It has to do with development and climate vulnerability. Across parts of Florida, communities are considering how to move forward after Hurricanes Ian and Nicole left widespread flooding and damage. Amy Green reports in New Smyrna Beach, leaders will vote today on whether to pause new residential development while they examine hurricane impacts. Freddie Bolin lost a lot when Hurricane Ian dropped a monumental 21 inches of rain on New Smyrna Beach in less than 24 hours. In a flash, his home filled with three feet of water. It looked like uh, we were living in the middle of the uh, lake. <laughs> As he and his wife fled to higher ground, his wife fell and disappeared for a moment beneath the rushing water. Bolin feared he had lost her. Both made it to safety. If you want to see somebody break down, you know, and <laughs> and bring tears to your eyes real quick, that, that, that did to me. And I've been struggling with it since. During Hurricane Ian, parts of New Smyrna Beach were inundated by as much as four feet of water. At least 215 residents were rescued by first responders. The coastal community is just south of Daytona Beach and sliced through by the Indian River Lagoon. Now, as residents contemplate repairs, city commissioners are taking a final vote on a proposal to halt new residential development for six months in certain flood zones. The measure applies to projects of 10 acres or greater involving houses, condos, and apartments. The moratorium is aimed at allowing time for a consultant to review the city's stormwater regulations and analyze how new residential development may have contributed to the historic flooding. Mayor Fred Cleveland says some residents believe the new development in this historically swampy state has left stormwater with no place to go. But other residents think outdated drainage systems in older neighborhoods are to blame and need updating. We want to go back to uh, the experts and say, hey, have we built properly? Do we need to build differently going forward? Do we need to have different set, a rule set than we have today? It's a remarkable step in Florida, where the economy is based in large part on growth and development, and developers are powerful political players. 
At the state level, inaction on climate change has prompted local governments like New Smyrna Beach to address warming temperatures, rising seas and more damaging hurricanes. And the legislature has struck back with measures aimed at diminishing local authority on issues like clean energy. In New Smyrna Beach, the development moratorium also comes as housing costs across Florida have skyrocketed, leading to an affordable housing shortage. Glenn Storch is a New Smyrna Beach resident and real estate attorney. He says the measure could face legal challenges. When they do this, they have to have a darn good reason for it. And that reason usually has to be something very important, very specific, and you have to have a plan to solve the problem. In New Smyrna Beach, the moratorium is seeing widespread support. City commissioners voted unanimously in December to approve it during a first reading. Donna Athern is a New Smyrna Beach resident and chairwoman of the local Turnbull Creek Preservation Committee. She believes the moratorium is being closely watched as communities across central Florida grapple with similar issues after hurricanes Ian and Nicole. Yes, I would think other other developers are taking a look at the possibility that that Florida's construction laws are going to change. They'll have to in order to accommodate these rising waters. She says every city in the state should be watching what happens in New Smyrna Beach. Amy Green in New Smyrna Beach. Well, there you have it. There is a community that's actually going to vote today about whether to pause development for six months because of rising seas and intense storms. So we'll keep an eye out on that. Look for the New Smyrna Beach Council to vote. We'll, we'll keep you updated on that for sure. And I should read a couple of these emails before we head on to Wavemakers. And oh, by the way, I found an answer to the uh, to Lenny's question. Ringling Museum is governed by FSU, but in recent years, the John and Mabel Ringling Museum of Art has developed a strong partnership with its Sarasota neighbor, New College of Florida, to promote their shared goal of providing quality arts education to students and the general public. So that's what I found out from the Ringling Art Museum, uh, Ringling Museum art page. Uh, Jeff in Tampa, who is a USF grad, says, great show in my opinion. DeSantis couldn't care less about education. He's simply trying to further his political ambitions, and he has repeatedly done so at every public speaking event since the beginning of his second year. Well, thank you to everyone who called and wrote in. I'll try to read this quick one. Uh, Greg sends us a tweet from attorney Daniel Ulfelder. He says, Florida is where woke goes to die, which is what DeSantis said after his reelection victory last month. Last week, a federal judge asked his general counsel to define woke. He answered, woke is the belief that there are systemic injustices in American society and the need to address them. So thanks to everyone who wrote in. And thanks for uh, to my guests, Andrew Gothard, president of United Faculty of Florida and Chelsea Hall, New College of Florida alumnus. And you can watch these interviews on our website this afternoon. It's at WMNF.org. I want to thank our phone screener, Irene, and also thank DT and Miss Julie for their help. You've been listening to Tuesday Cafe with Sean Canan. I'll be back next Tuesday at 10. And if you like the programming on 88.5, please consider making a donation at WMNF.org. At this time tomorrow, Shelly will host Midpoint. Her, she'll talk about proposed school boundary changes in Hillsborough. Next up is Wavemakers. Janet and Tom's guest is Lena Young-Green, a Tampa neighborhood activist. This is 